Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Jersey Educator Podcast. My name is Jeff Bradbury. And my name is Jim Boyce. And you are listening to the podcast created by NJEA members for NJEA members. Welcome to episode 27. Jim, tell us a little bit about our guest today. Jeff, we are going to have the 2016-17 New Jersey State Teacher of the Year on the show. Uh, Arjean Safari will be coming on to talk with us about all kinds of things. We're going to engage her in a conversation about her upbringing, and she has a fascinating, uh, beautiful story, um, you know, growing up in Armenia and coming to this country as an immigrant and uh, getting involved and uh, becoming an educator. And uh, I believe she will have a few, um, you know, choice words for our president uh, as, as we conclude the interview, Jeff. I certainly think that it was a great interview and nice to also have a fellow music teacher on and want to start off this podcast by congratulating our music educator as being our teacher of the year for the state. But before we get to that interview, uh, Jim, there's a few things happening here in the month of February for the NJEA. Jeff, absolutely. And we're just having such a great year uh, with our early career members. There's been so much activity across the state. Uh, Last show, we touted a financial uh, buying a first home event that we held a couple weekends ago in uh, Bayonne. Uh, We had over 50 members come out. Really great presentation about uh, just how to buy a first home. Lots of tips, advice. And uh, even today, uh, we, we held a coffee and convo uh, meeting at a uh, at a restaurant in Riverton, New Jersey. We had uh, over twenty NJA members come out to talk about social media. So uh, things continue throughout February with uh, two events on the same night. Jeff, Friday, February seventeenth, very popular with uh, a bowling event at Bolero uh, in North Brunswick with our Central Connection Group. Uh, free event, free evening of bowling dinner and a drink or two. Um, learn more at njea.org slash early career members and sign up. And then also our team North group is going back to uh, the elementary brewery in Hackensack. This will be their, Jeff, their third or fourth event there. They really love that space and they get a food truck that comes out and uh, a lot of networking, a lot of socializing. And, and this event uh, at elementary on February 17th, uh, We'll have some member benefit partners there sharing with our members how they can save money uh, just for uh, being an NJA member. And that uh, is called uh, Jeff Swipe Right for Your Union Night. So uh, two events on Friday, February 17th. Our listeners can learn more at NJA.org slash early career members. Uh, sign up and come on out. You know, Jim, I want to ask you a few questions about that. Recently, I was speaking with two teachers in my district who were were new. They were either in their first year or even had one that I was working with who was looking for a new position. Um who has you know been volunteering with us and i started asking things about you know do you have a, an updated resume do you have a portfolio do you what are things that are you're doing right now in the classroom with these kids that maybe you can bring with you to your next interview and, and then i asked that all important question i said do you know that the njea has an early career members network and they said no, what is that? So, Jim, I want to just kind of have you give us the whole history or as much as you can here. But what what is the Early Career Members Network? Why do we want to do this and how do we get involved? 
Yeah, Jeff. Uh, wow. So, uh, you know, that started a couple years ago where uh, early career members just started to get together on their own, um, you know, without um, without really um, anything from NJA, just to get together, connect and share and grow their support networks with each other. And uh, eventually they reached out and said, can you support us with these events and provide you know, some funding, you know, that, that's why we're able to do things at elementary and do a bowling night and uh, a, f- a financial aid night, you know, uh, members dues dollars pay for all this stuff. So uh, it's it's a great way to see your dues dollars uh, in action. And um, yeah, that that's just kind of, I guess, in a nutshell, how it works. The ideas for the events come from members and members plan them. You know, members go to the, you know, I've I've never been to Bolero, uh, so a member named Kevin Bloom in Middlesex County uh, in the Saraville Education Association wanted to do that event. He called him up. He he got some prices. I believe he even negotiated uh, the deal, the prices with them, and then got in touch with us and said, I've got it all set up. Uh, and then members do the event rights and write it up. And uh, then, then at the event, you know, they, they run it too. So it is a, a true member to member experience and event. And if any of our listeners want to help plan or get involved um, with their own events or with the existing ones, uh, the way to do that is njea.org slash early career members. There is a, a join us tab where you can uh, sign up for email updates and, and get on the list to hear about all these things, Jack. That is a great network, and if you haven't checked it out, that's great. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're a younger teacher. You could be starting a second career as an educator, and this is a great opportunity to do so and to reach out. Yeah, and it's not only our teachers, Jeff. It's our education support professionals. Uh, They certainly come out too, and, you know, it's not uncommon to see, uh, you know, paraprofessionals at our events, bus drivers at our events looking to connect with their peers also, it's really, really just a great space. Now, there's one more space that we can connect with each other, Jim, and that's by subscribing to this very podcast. How do you do that again? Jeff, uh, lots of ways. Uh, the first place, you can find us on iTunes. Just do a search for Jersey Educator. We come right up. You can leave a review, leave a comment, and certainly subscribe. Uh, then uh, you can also find us at njea.org uh, slash podcast. Uh, you know, check out all our episodes there. And uh, if, if you have a question or want to be on an episode or suggest a guest, uh, you can write to us at podcast at njea.org. Jim, tell us a little bit about our guest today. Jeff, we are pleased to have on the show the 2016-17 New Jersey State Teacher of the Year. Uh, please join me in welcoming Arjean Safari onto the show. Hello, Arjean. Hello. How are you? I am great. And how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for asking. Arjean, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I see that you are a member of the Pascac Valley Regional Education Association, and you're a music teacher. Am I right about that? Yes, you're correct. Well, congratulations on uh, on, on on becoming a the, the sixteen seventeen state teacher of the year. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the things that you're doing these days at Pascac Valley Regional. Pascac Valley is a great place to work. I started eleven years ago and um, pretty much built the music program, choral program there. And so we have a lot of exciting things going on. Triumph Music Honor Society. We have several choirs. Um, 
Um, I also teach theory classes. I have a bro squad, which is an after school uh, all male a cappella group that I started several years ago. So uh, we are quite busy. Uh, great things happening. That is absolutely fantastic. And I'm assuming that this point in time in the year, you're getting ready for musical season. Um, yes, it is true. However, as a state teacher, I'm actually on a sabbatical currently. So um, unfortunately, unfortunately, I have uh, mixed feelings about it, but I'm not in the classroom right now. Uh, starting January for the rest of the year, I'm working at the department. So there is another teacher who is uh, working with my students, but I am involved with the, the uh, Honor Society and the Bro Squad, which is this uh, all-male acapella group. Otherwise, they have a teacher who takes care of their uh, program right now. That is absolutely fantastic. Jim, it is so nice to talk to educators who are doing outstanding things in the classroom. Absolutely, Jeff. And Arjun, you mentioned a sabbatical. Uh, so, wow, that is a change. And what does your new role then as Teacher of the Year look like? Uh, well, I have quite a few very exciting things and uh, one of the most exciting things actually about my sabbatical is the fact that I will be visiting a lot of schools across the state. Um, and I'm actually hoping to visit some schools uh, outside of state as well. Um, a lot of schools, colleges, uh, I'm going to see classrooms in action. I'm also going to speak uh, in colleges to pre-service um, teachers, which is one of my passions and I'm especially interested in talking to some pre-service music teachers because I don't believe they get enough, um, they hear enough from public school music teachers. So I would love to share my experiences and how it is to be a music teacher in a public school, which is another kind of a layer of challenge, I believe. Um, so yes, uh, there are some quite a few interesting things going on, um, conferences, speaking engagements. Um, I'm very excited about this. Oh, Ed, as are we. Your life looks, uh, for at least uh, the rest of the year, very different. You'll be traveling the state, uh, serving in more of like a mentorship role and observing and speaking and really sharing your gifts on a broader level. So congratulations to you for that. And uh you know, your your story, which I read in the NJA Review magazine a couple months ago, it was is just so interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. I know I know you've been in the classroom for eleven years now, but your your path to the classroom um is not, you know, is not uh what I would call the norm, uh certainly. Uh would would you like to just kind of tell us a little bit about that? Uh certainly. Thank you for asking. I was born in Armenia, in Yerevan in Armenia. And um, I started I started music ever since I was a child. Actually, with my twin sister, we performed together. She's a violinist. She's a professional violinist now. And um, so uh, I thought it was just, you know, a, a normal thing for anyone to just be involved in music and do these things. So I continued as a musician. I went into a performing high school and that's where I met a great teacher who had an influence on me. And she really made me believe in myself pushed me so hard that made me apply to the Moscow Conservatory and I applied to that school got um, accepted and that was just a tremendous experience for me because I received some rigorous training um, met amazing performers teachers professors researchers um, and uh, 
I was in the middle of my doctorate program where I, my, I had my daughter when I was actually graduating last year of my um, conservatory. So, um, so that happened that we immigrated to the United States when she was a few months old and the life started all over again. Um, so that's my path. And uh, uh, I have to say, it took me a long time to actually come to teaching after moving to the United States because, um, you know, I was uh, trying to figure out what it is that I will be doing. Everyone was discouraging me uh, from doing music because, well, who does music? Uh, you know, going to business and uh, uh, earn money. Uh, but um, I did decide to go to college and got a degree in music and uh, in business and finance simply because I needed to improve my language and wanted to get um, more comfortable with the culture. Uh, meanwhile, I was um, working and doing, uh, playing some gigs and doing interesting things and uh, gradually got involved with the Brooklyn Youth Chorus and um, started to teach. And there was this one um, interesting story that uh, happened to me after which I uh, really got um, super inspired and uh, decided to become a teacher. I don't know. that That's my long story of soul searching and self-discovery, but it is worth it because uh, all those tribulations um, made me, I think, a better teacher and made me appreciate what I do a lot more. Wow, I bet. Uh, what what a what a story! And uh, you know, uh, you you started out there with Ar Armenia, where you are from, and I don't know, uh, I don't know much about the country. I'm looking on a map right now, right next to Azerbaijan. It looks like uh, and there's Georgia, Azerbaijan. Um, uh, it is a small country. It's a, a tiny country, but Armenians are very proud of their heritage. It's a uh, um, it's a very old nation um, with rich culture and traditions and music cultures especially are very rich. Uh, but the one thing I can say is uh, coming from Armenia taught me a lot of respect to teachers because teachers are very respected in that country. And if you um, if you say that you're a teacher, it's almost like, oh, wow, let me bow. Let me stand up and bow and uh, uh because teachers get a lot of respect. Um, and that's how I was raised. Uh, my teachers were my heroes. Um, I didn't really know otherwise. That, that, that's really great. And, and you, you mentioned your sister played violin. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Arjean, do you play an instrument or are you a singer or? Yes, I do play piano. I play an organ as well. I'm a music director at the church actually have been for many years. Uh, an organist, and my sister does play violin, so we performed together as a duet for many years. Even after I moved here, we always looked for opportunities, either her um, uh, coming over or when I, you know, visited her in Moscow, because that's where she lives now, uh, and we've had some uh, some experiences performing even after we were separated. Um, in terms of, you know, uh, territory and living in different countries. I, I bet, I bet. And, and the distance, you know, hopefully, you know, through things like, um, you know, the internet, the two of you remain close. And uh, you, you mentioned um, teachers. So you grew up with this great respect of, of teachers. And did you have, 
you know, anyone uh, inspiring you along the way that, you know, that you, someone you looked up to and thought, you know, it would be interesting or fun or maybe I could do that someday? Um, oh, yes, absolutely. I have to say that I didn't realize that at the time. It was almost uh, taken as granted by me. And I thought that, wow, so teachers, of course, that's their job. That's what they do. They inspire. They uh, push you. But now looking back, I had um, uh, uh, several teachers who each of each one of them inspired me, not necessarily to become a teacher, but when I became a teacher, I was uh, constantly looking for the traits that came from them and um, trying to be like them. Uh, specifically, my high school teacher that whom I mentioned um, before, she um, taught me how to pursue your dream and never uh, stop dreaming and working towards your dream. Uh, she taught me to work hard and to push myself to believe in me myself. My other teacher, professor from conservatory, actually, I um, saw her last year. She invited me to um, present at the uh, international conference in Moscow Conservatory. It was a very big deal. I was the only representative from the United States and the only K-12 representative uh, because this was a higher level institution conference. But um, it was a tremendous honor and uh, being there and seeing her. And she's a world-renowned scholar, researcher. She has uh, hundreds of books written. And yet um, after the presentation, she came up to me and she held my hand and she said, Arjean, I wish I could be a student in your class. Aww. So that's the kind of professor I had um, in her. She was constantly pushing me, expecting um, most out of me, but yet constantly inspiring me and making me believe in myself and thinking, you know, you are amazing. You're just doing a great thing. And uh, I think that's very, very unique. And it is important for teachers to have that you know, uh, being humble and have that respect for their students where the students um, start believing in themselves and thinking, oh my gosh, she she actually <laughs> enjoyed my presentation. She she believes I can do this. She believes, she, I, I you know, I, I can do things, you know, well. I can do certain things um, as well as she wants me to, to do. And, um, you know, she always... Uh, listens to our uh, students' opinions. There were, there were numbers of students uh, from um, other countries that came to present, came to uh, be a part of this uh, conference. It speaks volumes of her as a teacher. So uh, that's the kind of teacher I really uh, aspire to be. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the, I just had an image when you told that story of the, the teacher you know, the master teacher becoming a student and, um, you know, kind of almost turning it over. And and mm -hmm. you, you emphasize there, you know, something we don't, you know, think much about, but a good teacher is also a good listener of his or her students and always in tune with, you know, the vibe in the classroom and kind of following that, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yes, you mentioned listener, and that is absolutely True. And I want to add also a lifelong learner mm. herself or himself, because that is the quality that I admire. Well, in this particular professor I mentioned, but also when you think about it, really, what are we doing when we're teaching our students? We're trying to instill this 
love for learning that is continuous and throughout their life. Um, and it never stops. I mean, we constantly look uh, for improvement. Uh, we constantly look for ways to do a better job with our students or with, um, uh, you know, ourselves. So I think self-improvement, constant love for learning are extremely important components of being a great teacher and also inspiring the students uh, when they see that you are learning, you're constantly asking questions, you're curious, you are interested in, you know, learning from them even. Uh, that is very inspiring. Um, it was to me anyway. So so you are not only an inspiration to your students, but they are to you. Uh... Oh, absolutely. I think a lot of times we don't realize as educators we talk about how much we give to our students and how important, uh, you know, we hope we feel that we are for our students. But the one thing we don't emphasize enough, I think that is the fact that we become better people. We become better teachers and citizens because of our students. And I truly believe that because um, I can see how much I've changed and, um, ever since I started teaching and how much I've learned from my students about everything, about empathy, about friendships, about, um, uh, you know, uh, personal relationships or even um, facing obstacles in their lives and trying to overcome things that we personally would never even think that existed. I mean, today's kids have uh, so many more challenges than we had when we were their age and goes from, I don't know, social media, there's, uh, you know, uh, anything can happen. You can, you can be bullied on social media. I mean, uh, who sure, heard sure. of that when we were kids or, or uh, you know, kids are, um, you know, especially I think poverty and, mm. uh, you know, um, that's why equity is so important in our schools that making sure, and now, especially in, in today's political climate, where the country is more divided than ever, I think it's super important to talk about safety for our children in, in schools. So I think I learned a lot about empathy from my students, and they certainly made me a better person, that's for sure. And it, it, it was, it was uh, interesting to hear you there talk about um, overcoming obstacles. And I couldn't help but think that, you know, you are an immigrant, and when you came to this country, uh, you seem to, uh, Arjean, allude to the fact that you did not know the language very well. So there, there must be a story there about coming here and finding a path that led you to a university and into a classroom. Uh, well, absolutely, there is a story that I sometimes I try not to think about those those times because those are really some dark and um, hard times. But I think overcoming those obstacles really truly made me who I am today. And when I say that, uh, what I mean is that uh, you are pretty much just, you have no choice. When you are in a situation like that, you have to push harder. You have to believe in yourself. And especially when you, uh, you know, I moved here with my um, uh, young daughter and you feel responsible for that young life. You, you want to do everything for her. And as a parent, then you push yourself. And, you know, if there are times where you feel uh, things are falling apart, you definitely know that 
she keeps you going because you are responsible for her. So in that sense, I think she was an inspiration for me. And obviously my husband has been a tremendous rock in, uh, in my life. He's always been extremely supportive, but um, I, I think what, uh, what it did to me is being a refugee, especially and overcoming all those obstacles taught me to understand that better when my students are going through those challenges and uh, being more accepting and uh, understanding that who you have in your classroom is not always who you think you have. Mm. I mean, you know, you see every student has a story, uh, believe it or not, and they may not even know their story, but you try to discover their stories. And when you discover their stories, you realize that there is so much to every single student than you see. And, and, and the feeling of um, loneliness, the feeling of, um, you know, not being understood followed me for many, many years mm-hmm. as an immigrant. And those are the feelings that I try to, um, you know, I work really hard for my students not to ever have those experiences that I had. Uh, being in America, I think they have this world of opportunities and we need to, it's our job, it's our responsibility to provide our students with safe environment, making sure every student in our classroom is understood, loved, welcomed, and treated as if I were treating my own kid in that classroom. And that's the way I look at that. Uh, and I think that perspective helped me a lot. Absolutely, I, I bet. And it sounds like you are always working to uh, earn your students' trust. Uh, so I just imagine uh, a lot of patience and a lot of listening. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, uh, and I think also being a music teacher helped me a lot because I see my students in a different light. A lot of times we have all these after-school activities, trips, performances. We have competitions. We are preparing them for, you know, outside of school things. And seeing them in a different light taught me about them a lot more. And um, in that sense, um, earning their trust, I think, was in a sense easier for me than it could have been for any other teachers. Uh, Because number one, we share that passion for music. They come to me they um, are already feeling welcomed and they already have that passion that they share with each other. That makes us a lot more united. Um, in addition to that, I think performing in an ensemble or in a choir teaches about collaboration, teaches about mm-hmm. partnerships, teamwork. And um, no matter who you are, you are welcomed. And your voice, um, quite literally, <laughs> counts. So every student feels important and needed. And I mean, it's in a sense very similar to being a member of a sports team. However, in sports, a lot of times you may be put on uh, sitting, um, you know, on a bench and not being a part of the game where I think in any musical ensemble, you are always a member of that ensemble and every single instrument and voice counts. So in that sense, I think music is even more, um, you know, teaches more about collaboration and being together and students learn about empathy. 
You know, Arjean, it's really, really cool to hear your stories. And, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking back to, to my 15 years as being a, an orchestra teacher. And, and it is awesome to, to hear other people having similar experiences. I mean, as a music teacher, it's just different, right? You hear a lot of teachers looking for smaller class sizes. And as the music teacher, you're the one that's looking for larger class sizes. And you want to have, you know, 75, 175 <laughs> people in a classroom. And, and you know, I can't tell you how many times I've said to people, you know, this is a sport that everybody plays every single note, every single moment of the, of the game here. I, I got to ask you, are, were, were you the type of student growing up that, um, I, I'm not sure what the choral equivalent was, but, you know, we always had the, you know, I, I was the guy that hung out in the band room constantly. Mm-hmm. And I always, you know, be, because we hung out in the band room, that's, be, that's why I became a music teacher. And so, you know, when I was a, a high school orchestra teacher, I made sure that the band room was always open and always available because you mm-hmm. never know if you're going to be talking to the next doctor, lawyer, or music teacher that you're going to be working with. And, you know, we had several <laughs> students in, in my school district that, you know, left us, graduated, went to mm-hmm. Rutgers for four years, came back, and they were colleagues of mine. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about your experiences growing up and what was that one pivotal thing that said, I'm going to be a music teacher or, hey, this is, you know, that thing that's inspiring me for my future. Uh, well, it's interesting that you're asking me this because um, I think my experience is different than um, um, many other uh, music teachers experience. Number one, I um, did not grow up in this country. And what it means is that my uh, music uh, music training came not during the school and not in the regular school environment, but after school in the clubs and music schools, music conservatories. Um, see, that's uh, that's how European schools are really structured. Now, uh, what you have is you have some basic, very basic music training in regular schools, be it a public school or it could be some uh, you know equivalent of a charter or private school. But um, it's very, very limited. Um, and basically all the musical training you receive after school, which is uh, you have uh, enormous opportunities in music schools and conservatories. They are equivalent to something like Manhattan School of Music, of music or Juilliard pre-college programs where you can get training in your instrument, your voice. Uh, It could be uh, ensemble training, solfege, ear training. It could be choir, orchestra, band, everything together. But you can pretty much all have those classes every day after school, say after three o'clock until eight or nine o'clock. So that's a very rigorous training, but not during school hours. Mm -hmm. And um, that is possible only because the school hours are actually shorter you, uh, I believe we were, we had school until one o'clock or something like that. And then you, we, we also had school on Saturdays, but um, your afternoon was clear for all those extracurricular activities, which you um, complemented uh, with and took them somewhere outside of school. But the way you could do it was because uh, there was a very small nominal fee for that, very affordable. Um, so if you were to do it here in the United States, you would have to pay uh, thousands of dollars to put your child through, for example, Manhattan School or Juilliard, uh, Juilliard Conservatory pre-college programs. Those are very costly, and they um, they provide the similar kind of training that I received. Um, except, as I mentioned, they uh, the training I had was 
almost almost for free. It was almost for free. You had to be accepted. You had to go through the audition process. But um, but in that sense, I think I got really really wonderful, rigorous training. So for me, <laughs> almost becoming a musician was almost out of question because. I just really got all this training and it was going so well. I couldn't imagine myself doing anything else, but I wasn't thinking of becoming a music teacher. It was more performing. And I was also very involved in musicology and theory. I was interested in composition and those um, things, but I became, I decided to become a music teacher only after I immigrated to the United States and got an opportunity to work um, you know, be a, an accompanist, have similar, you know, many gigs. And I had um, become a music director for a number of um, Broadway, of, I'm sorry, off-Broadway shows. And I worked with young people as well. And that really inspired me to do this on a regular basis. But there was this one student who really, uh, you asked about a pivotal point in my career. And I think that was the po- the time when I decided to actually become a music teacher is um, it was after 9-11 that she lost her uh, father and uh, she was a very uh, talented musician uh, and wanted to apply to this uh, performing high school which was uh, free of charge but very competitive and I decided to um, volunteer my time and prepare her for that Um, and when she was accepted and you know pretty much her life completely changed because uh, now, you know, she didn't have to worry about paying for it. And she was on a path to achieve her dreams. I mean, the feeling that I had at that moment when I learned about it and uh, knowing that I made a difference in this kid's life, that she's been, um, she was very depressed and stressed, you can only imagine. And she almost gave up on her dream. And I felt that I, I had some kind of a power at that moment that I never felt that I had before. So I think that's where, you know, things changed dramatically for me as far as becoming a teacher. Great story. And, and I, I couldn't help as you told it, Arjean, to think what your, what your classroom uh, must be like, you know, how, how, what from this uh, upbringing and experience did you make sure to incorporate into your choral program? Uh, well, I can say for sure that one thing I knew, i uh, not that I needed to incorporate in a program, but I knew that um, I should, I, I should have, I should stay true to myself. That's the one thing I learned. And I've seen um, tremendous teachers uh, in their classrooms and I've learned a lot from them. But one thing I realized that unless you are being who you are in the classroom, Um, students are not going to respond to you. You have to be absolutely honest and not pretend that, oh, this is okay. I'm going to, I'm going to shift my, um, my views on this. I'm going to just, I don't believe in this, but I'm just going to do it because others are doing it. And I learned that, that I'm not going to do that. I couldn't do that. I couldn't possibly do it. And what I mean is, for example, not pushing kids hard and hard enough. Because I've seen um, a lot of students or teachers, uh, you know, almost like, hey, that's good enough. You know, if they do this, I'm going to just accept that and that's fine. But that's not what I was taught. When I was growing up, there there was nothing less than striving for excellence. 
so I think that's the one thing I definitely brought from my upbringing and from my experiences is that no matter what you strive for excellence, you strive for perfection and you push yourself hard, harder than you can possibly imagine. Can I share a small a short story with you? Sure. Uh, so I think one of the one of the ways you can understand what I mean by uh, my teachers pushing me hard was, um, for example, I had um, I was uh, I was um, on my final year of conservatory and I I, I was pregnant at the time. I um, I got married uh, while still in school and got pregnant, so I had to reschedule my recital to an earlier time so I can have um, my juries done beforehand. And it was pretty uh, tough to do that. But so I gave birth to my daughter and it was literally the day before I gave birth, I had my final recital and jury. <laughs> so, um, and you know, it was tough. I had um, my, you know, it wasn't easy uh, as far as, you know, the whole process. Uh, and um, I had, you know, uh, there, there was no epidural or anything like that at the time, especially in Russia. So uh, I'm home, so, you know, a few days after I gave birth in pain and breastfeeding and all that. And my professor calls me, congratulates me on having a baby. And she says, well, I'll see you in a couple of days as we agreed with 15 more pages of your research paper. And there was no, no, thought in my mind to say, you know, can we maybe push this um, a little bit further down? This was on a calendar. This was scheduled and you had a baby. Good for you. Now I'm still expecting that paper. Uh, so, and I did, I literally, I couldn't, I couldn't sit for um, a couple of weeks because of, um, you know, uh, I had a very complicated um, birth. I had to give complicated birth, but I had to be standing, breastfeeding, writing this paper, um, being up all night, but I had to deliver the paper. There was no question you wouldn't deliver the paper. And um, so I think that taught me a lot about, you know, you go through that pain, but you learn in the process that sometimes that pain is worth it when you think about the final results. I don't think I would have graduated without her pushing me that hard without her expecting those things from me and not taking a no for, or not having any excuses, you know? And today I find that a lot of, a lot of kids go and come up with so many excuses and they say, well, yeah, I had this, I had that, but that's the one thing I learned from my upbringing that there are no excuses. Don't take excuses and don't, you know, accept any excuses. Yeah. I, I, uh, RG and I picture then your classroom being, a setting with high expectations for the students. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that they rise to meet the occasion. Um, yes, I believe they do. They are amazing students. I have really, really awesome, awesome kids. Um, but in the meantime, I also, I believe I provide them with a very caring environment and they know that um, they can trust me with anything. And they know that I put students first, no matter what. It's their needs. It's their, um, you know, uh, accomplishments that I'm really, that's my goal for them to succeed as far as they can. And I do support them along the way, every step of the way. And I continue even after they graduate, because I think that support system is extremely important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can have high expectations, but if you don't provide them with the skills and the resources and support, you can expect all you want. They're not going to give you anything. 
Um, so that's important that they know that I'm going to provide it for them because if I expect them to work hard, I myself work twice as hard. Wow. Wow. Uh, uh, Arjun, we've been talking here a, a half hour or so, and I, I gotta ask, I just have to ask about, um, so, so I know that all these state teachers of the year do get an opportunity to meet the president. <laughs> yes. And, and that will be coming up, uh, sometime over the next few months. And, and you being an immigrant, uh, you know, uh, have you thought, thought the, have you thought ahead to that and what that meeting might be like? And are you having any expectations going into that, I guess? Um, um, I think that's a very, very interesting question. And I've definitely been thinking about it um, for a long time. I've been ever since we, um, we got the new administration. Um, I've had um, very mixed feelings about, um, first of all, I don't know how long the meeting is going to last and what mm. exactly to expect, because I know every administration I'm assuming would be different. But um, yeah, sure. I'm sure President Trump will be, um, uh, you know, continuing the tradition of meeting with the teachers and having conversations. But one thing I can say that I do really hope that I will have an opportunity to sit, even if it's for a few minutes, sit with other state teachers of the year uh, around the table and have a conversation uh, with our president about what it is and what it means to be a uh, an immigrant, in fact, a refugee in this country, and what it, what this country did for someone like me, providing with all these opportunities, and where would I be if it wasn't for all those tremendous opportunities? But no, more importantly, where would my students be, and how would they be? Uh, then uh, would they have those opportunities to learn from a teacher who? Uh, inspire them. And uh, there are hundreds and hundreds of other teachers who are immigrants, refugees, and in a country that is built on immigration. And, you know, we have all those immigrants. Uh, where would they be? And where would we be? And how would it? I mean, I've learned so much from other countries, from other immigrants, from people who came to this country. We, uh, we have diversity in our classrooms, ranging from race, um, uh, gender, ethnicity, uh, you know, their religious beliefs. We have, this is the country of diverse people and that's what we should embrace and be proud of. And if I could have that conversation and, and if uh, uh, President Trump could see our, co our actually state teachers of the year who are an amazing group of people this year. I mean, I just came back from uh, the uh, induction and the national teacher induction in Dallas which was an imp an incredible experience, absolutely incredible experience, uplifting, inspiring, where I met all the other teachers of the year who are just, I cannot tell you what amazing people they are. They come from all sorts of backgrounds and experiences. Uh, and we have immigrants as well. We have, um, you know, and how much I've grown from knowing them and from knowing uh, learning from their experiences and backgrounds and knowing where they're coming from. I mean, this is enriching. This is inspiring to, um, uh, to, I mean, in a world like ours, global world where no boundaries exist, how can we not embrace uh, the, uh, you know, diversity and differences? How can we not learn from each other? 
uh, that's how I became a better person. I've learned from uh, these other cultures, from other people. You know, so I have all sorts of thoughts and all sorts of uh, things that I would love to share with the, the current administration. And I uh, will absolutely be outspoken given the opportunity. And I know that my um, uh, other state teachers of the year, my class, so to speak, of state teachers of 2017, we share one deep passion and it is love for students and love for teaching. And we all agree that we have the responsibility of providing every student in our classroom with the same quality education and same quality experiences, no matter where they come from, no matter where uh, their level of, um, you know, uh, socioeconomic uh, status, no matter where they're, literally, they were born or raised or where their parents are from or what their religious beliefs are. We've got them in our classrooms. We have that responsibility to provide high quality education to these students. They are our future. I mean, uh, we don't know who these kids are going to become. We have future artists, painters, sculptors. I mean, we have uh, lawyers. We have future presidents in our classes. And it is our responsibility. There is just that. I mean, we 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 get to love them we get to know them we get to know their stories and i don't see any other way than to embrace every single one of them argina we we know you you will represent new jersey well uh, if if and uh, hopefully yes you you get that chance to sit down with the president and share uh, on behalf of Jeff, uh, thank you so much for coming on the coming on the show and sharing your story so that we can learn from you. You know, Jim, it's amazing to talk to a teacher that not only has gone above and beyond the classroom, but really has gone above and beyond so much in her career, um, such as our guest tonight. What did you get out of tonight's interview? Oh, Jeff, where would we be without our immigrants, uh, without that offering that richness and all that culture uh, in our in our nation, in our schools? And I'm just I'm so happy that we have uh, our Jean out there. Uh, she'll be representing us now at the national level and she'll be in the room with the president very soon. So we'll be all ears for uh, for how that goes. And of course, if you're wishing to get in touch with anybody here on the show, there is one great thing that you can do, and that's subscribe to our podcast on our various channels. Jim, tell us one more time. How can you subscribe to the show? Sure, Jeff. Uh, iTunes, uh, find us there under Jersey Educator. We're also on Google Play and Stitcher. Find us the same way. And uh, on the web, you can find us at njea.org slash podcast. And while you're listening to those podcasts, Jim, my suggestion why don't you go bowling? Jim, one more time, when is that bowling event? Uh, Jeff, you're, you're interested. I'm, I'm going to see you at that bowling event, Jeff. I, I expect to see you there at the Bolero. I believe it's in North Brunswick uh, on February 17th um, in the evening there on Friday night. And then we also have our Swipe white Right for Your Union Night at the Elementary in Hackensack on February 17th. And our listeners can learn all about it and sign up at njea.org slash early career members. And that does it with episode number 27 of the Jersey Educator Podcast. On behalf of everybody here in the New Jersey Education Association, my name is Jeff Bradbury. And my name is Jim Boyce. Reminding you to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions in New Jersey.